Habakkuk chapter 2, if you haven't found out, um, just look next to them. Just kind of pretend you're scratching your head or something and look over this other guy's Bible. <clears throat> but let me just read. I want to give you a, a couple of verses here in chapter 1 of Habakkuk <clears throat> that kind of leads up to it. It doesn't have anything to do <clears throat> particularly with the exact message. I'm going to get into chapter 2 in a moment. But I'm just going to share a few, few verses here. <clears throat> in chapter 1, Notice what it says here. And by the way, in Habakkuk, there's really nothing known about the man, the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, he, is, he is one, you know, most prophets, they, when they teach and preach, they preach about God and the message to the people. But really, Habakkuk is different prophet than all the others. He is kind of speaking on behalf of the people to God. So that's what he is getting into. So right now, he's a little frustrated, I think. And so he shares some things in the very beginning in verse one. It says, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And he was overwhelmed with a burden that he was carrying on his heart, that he was praying that God would do a work uh, that he's sharing. And, and you know, all of us carry burdens from time to time, but we can do what Habakkuk did and take it to the Lord. He said, verse two, oh Lord, how long Shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. And then verse 4. Therefore the law is slacked. The judgment, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So here's his thought. <clears throat> he is simply saying, Lord, how long do I have to cry? I mean, he... He was going through a crisis in his life as he thought about the situation. He cared about the people of Judah, the southern tribes. He cared so much for them, but nothing was working out. He talked about their violence, spoiling and violence from verse 3, <clears throat> that, that they just there's so much sin going on. When are you going to do something, God, about the situation here in Judah? They all knew about Assyria, and the Assyrians came in and they captured northern <clears throat> Uh, Israel. They took the 10 tribes of North Israel in 722 BC. And so all of Judah knew about that. So here it was, those people were sinning against God. The Assyrians came in and took them away. And then later coming down to 586 is when the final Babylonians came in to take, <clears throat> take um, Judah, the Southern tribe. So if you keep that in mind, the, the 722, the 586, they're two important dates in the Old Testament and reading, but the people of Judah did not learn from what happened with Israel, the northern tribes of Israel. And you think a lot of times for all of us, we get a little slow sometime in picking up something. We see someone else erring and sinning against God. They, How could they do something like that? And then we wind up doing it a few years later or a few days later, the same kind of thing. But that's where Hezekiah was. And he said to them in verse four, he said, the law is slacked. That is, the people got the attitude and idea, we don't need the Bible. We don't need God in our lives. We'll do things our way. And that's what happened to all the people. They made up their mind, we don't need the Lord. We're going to do things our way. We'll just show God. I don't need to serve him like the other forefathers did. And I know what happened to, in, to the northern tribes, but that's not going to happen to us. We're stronger. We're mighty people. We can do what we want. And everyone 
was kind of doing that which was right in their own eyes, like they did in Judges. And so they're all just kind of doing their thing and not serving God, and Hezekiah is concerned about it. And look in chapter 2, if you would. And by the way, I think all of us should be greatly disturbed about what we see happening in America. I think, Lord, please, we don't need to repeat this again. But we think we know what's happened in the past. We know when a people turn against God, it's righteousness that exalteth a nation. But when people turn away from God, problems are going to happen. And may I also say, when he talked about these people, they threw out the law. May I also say to us, and just keep in mind for those of us that are here and different churches and sometimes visitors, and you think, well, you know, it really doesn't make any difference what church we go to or where we go or what we do. But I think the key thing is that a church follows the Bible, the Word of God. So this church is called Gospel Baptist Church because we believe the gospel, believe the Word of God, and the founders did, and the pastor does, and leading this church that the Bible becomes the final authority. Anytime you take a church or any people and say, you know what, these old guys, they've been too hard on us. It's been too difficult. We can't do it. Like We, we, we want to be able to relax. We want our freedom. And that's the thing. The narcissism that seems to creep into everybody, like, I want to do my thing. I've got my rights. I want to do it my way. That's what we see in the political scene in America, and that's exactly what happens in churches as well. I've talked to some of those people, and it's like, you know, we're not under bondage. We can do what we want to do. You're right. When you get saved, we are free in Jesus to do what he wants us to do. That's the guideline for born-again believers. So, Lord, I want the help. And that's why you're thankful, too, being in a church like this with our pastor. He directs us in what God wants. And sometimes that's not easy to take, but we do what God wants us to do. So anyhow, these people were just kind of doing their own things and turning against God because they didn't really care about the Lord. They weren't concerned about spiritual things. One of the things about Habakkuk that you see uh, in the three short chapters of his book, he's concerned about the holiness of God. He can't understand why this country can go on with the sin in their lives like, like they're experiencing and like they have without God doing something. And it's kind of like, God, you're a holy God. You should not be allowing these kind of things to go on. So then the Lord kind of responds to him, and he's going to bring in the Babylonians to be able to correct them. So here's his thinking, like, hey, God, honestly, Lord, I'm trying to understand, and this is really what he's dealing with. I'm trying to figure this thing out. Our people are ungodly, and, and he admits that, and he talks about that in chapter 1. They're ungodly. So God, is going to, God answers him and sends in to correct them to try to get them right with him before the invasion of the Babylonians come and wipe them out. So then he is saying, okay, Lord, we want to do the right things there, and God's going to take care of them, and God's going to help us. So God says, okay, I'll deal. I am a holy God, and he is, and he's going to correct things, and he will, in our lives, in the life of the people here. And so he sends in the Babylonians. They're the worst of the worst. It's kind of like, you know, I, I was born in Washington, D.C. I never lived there except the, the days that my mother was in the hospital. And we came back into Arlington, Virginia. <clears throat> but it's kind of like Washington. They've always had a, a kind of a notorious uh, <clears throat> attitude and a notorious reputation um, in, in politics, unfortunately, that's not what I'm talking about. 
but, but just with their lifestyle. They, they live like they, why? they want to. They've got drugs. They've got the problems. They've got the, the, the murders, unfortunately. And they, it's a rough place a lot of times if you live in Washington, D.C. Great place to visit, difficult there. But it's okay. We're going to clean up Washington, D.C., all of it. And so what would we do? Well, to be able to get them straightened out, we'll go down and get the mafia uh, from up from Chicago, we'll bring them down, help out. We'll go down and get the, the cartel down in Mexico. We'll bring them. We'll straighten those people out. And it's like, are you kidding me? They're worse than we are. And that's exactly the, the principle that Hezekiah is dealing with. Lord, okay, we're bad, Lord, but we're not that bad. I mean, come on, you know, for all of us, hey, look, I may be doing this, but that's not as bad as so, so-and-so over here. He, he's worse than I am. We can all find someone else worse off than we are so we can build ourselves up. But, but Hezekiah, uh, Habakkuk is trying to deal with the situation and getting it worked out. Waiting on the Lord is not always easy. But notice in chapter 2 where he says, that I will stand upon my watch, Hezekiah said, and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Here's the way I look at it. As I read this, I look at it and I see Habakkuk saying, all right, God, here's the situation. We're bad. I know we're bad. <clears throat> and now I find out you're going to send in these guys. And Lord, I want to just see how you're going to clean up this mess. And he just kind of gets in his tower. He says, okay, God, I'm ready now. Go ahead and do something. And that's kind of where, Hezekiah, <laughs> where Habakkuk is, trying to think through what we're going to do and how he's going to see things work out. But he does. And you notice what he says in verse 2, where he said, The Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. In chapter 2 and verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. God's saying, I'm going to take care of it, but you're going to have to wait a little bit, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, and enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all the people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, an atoning proverb against him, and say, Woe to him! that increases that which is not his. How long, and to him that ladeth himself with thick clay, shall they not rise up suddenly that bite thee and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties upon them, because thou hast spoiled many nations. All the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of man's blood and for the violence of the land and the city and of that the dwell therein. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. So here it was with these bad people, the Babylonians, that are coming in, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are coming in to be able to take over. And so they're there, and they're kind of setting themselves up. And so notice, if you would, in verse 9, where he said that he may set his nest on high. He's raised way up. Babylonians, they think they've got it made. Now, here are a few things that God says to them 
that we're reminded of in this. There are five different woes that are there. We're not going to deal with but one of them, basically. <clears throat> but I look at this and I think, here God's going to take care of it. And I just remind us as well, for any of us, we don't want to be like the Judeans at this time <clears throat> that turn their backs on God, nor do we want to be like the oppressors that God sent in, <clears throat> and that is the Babylonians. But be sure <clears throat> your sin will find you out. You can't get away with sinning against God. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he reap. It's going to happen. So for any of us and all of us, we can think through some things. But here's some things that God is saying to, the, to us as well through reading this story. Because the Bible tells us that the things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through comfort and patience of the scriptures might have hope. So I look in the word of God, Old Testament, and I can have hope from it as well. But the, one of the things we find out here that we're reminded of, reminded of from that lofty perch up there in the exalted nest syndrome where the Babylonians are, think they've got it made now, we're in control, we're running everything. We find out, we're reminded of the sin of covetousness <coughs> that comes. Covetousness <coughs> is a horrible thing for all of us. But notice as we think about uh, in verse 5, in verse 5b, 5 it says, yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, and enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. So here, what is happening is the Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to take over. And we see it in our world today, where countries constantly think about expanding and taking territories that aren't theirs. And we get concerned sometime in America about our future and who we might have to fight just to maintain ourselves. But the Babylonians were coming in, and they were going to take over. God said, I'm going to take care of them. I'll give you time to think about it. But he said, I'm going to take care of them and deal with them. Harry Ironside said, covetousness is the unsatisfied craving of the heart for more than God was been pleased to give. So the Babylonians are saying, hey, they're wanting to be able to take more territory and God's going to use them to come in. And by the way, God sometimes uses evil people and evil nations to kind of give us what we deserve as a nation and as a people. And that's what was happening uh, right here with these folks. So covetousness always says, I want more. And we know we're not supposed to be covetous and <clears throat> uh, stopping to think about. The Bible says, let your conversation or your manner of living be without covetousness. <clears throat> Uh, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. In Hebrews 13, 5, I have nothing to worry about. I just don't have to be wanting what everybody else has. And he said, that was their problem there as well. So I've got to learn to put aside the things, the covetousness that deals with. And by the way, we think sometimes covetousness is just having to do with money. It's not just money. It can be all of the material things that are out there. It can be status. It can be looks. It can be brains. It can be anything you want that someone else has that God hasn't gifted you with. And so you stop and think about, well, what would I really like? You know, how beautiful would I like to be? How much hair would I really love to have? You know, what, would, what kind of a car would I like to drive? What kind of a house? Would I, what kind of a bank account would I like to be able to have? And, and, and we can start coveting things like that and brains that are there as well <clears throat> that uh, we'd like to have. And I've often thought, <clears throat> I've often thought of Jay Adams as the guy who was a, a great counselor and wrote many wonderful counseling books. But I thought, why does, why does someone like that have the kind of brains he has 
he's with the Lord now, so I can say this. But why does he have the brains he have and then some fundamental independent Baptist preacher doesn't have half the brains that the guy like that has? I remember my mother-in-law, my Mary's mom, <clears throat> lived with us the last 10 years of her life, uh, and we took care of her, and Mary basically took care of her. And I would, I would be at the office, the work at the church, and I'd come home, <clears throat> and I'd, I'd uh, go down, and I'd chat with her at times, and, and she was losing her faculties, and, and her, her fingers were getting gnarled, and she was getting older as, uh, she, as she came to live with us. And, but, I, I, but she had a mind that wouldn't quit. I mean, she knew everybody's phone numbers by memory. Uh, she, could, she was just good with anything and everything. So she was always fun to talk to. So I would come home, and I'd sit there and talk to her for 20, 30 minutes, and then by the time Mary would have dinner ready and we would have dinner, uh, and did that, and I told her, I said, Mom, I said, it'd be so nice to have your mind, because she'd talk about her body. I said, yeah, but you've got a wonderful mind. <clears throat> well, but, so one day I came home, and I went down and talked to her, and she says, bud, she was down. I mean, she was really downtrodden. She says, you know, you've always talked about how good my mind is. She said, not anymore. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I said, well, what, what, what's happened, Mom? What, what's wrong? She said, well, you know, Sally at church, she came over to see me. My mom was restricted to the house there. She couldn't get out on her own. <clears throat> she said, she came over to see me, and I could not remember her name. And she said, I just met her a year ago. I said, Mom, I met people five minutes ago. I don't have a clue <laughs> what their name is. <clears throat> I mean, she was so downtrodden because she forgot someone's name that she met a year before. I think, why didn't I get that kind of a good brain, you know, that, that I could have used, you know, <clears throat> without, without forgetting someone. So <clears throat> I'm saying if I forget your name, it's because of my mother-in-law, she didn't give me her brain. <clears throat> you know, and you may have everything and not be covetous. You may be poor as, as it could be and be very covetous. The covetousness is kind of that thing on the heart. Hold your finger here for a minute in Habakkuk and look over with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In the book of 1 Timothy, in chapter 6. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, familiar uh, scripture verses there, but it reminds us of something uh, and just kind of puts it in place for all of us again uh, to be able to look at. But in 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, it reminds us of something that is uh, really so vitally important for all of us as well. But I, I look in, uh, in 1 Timothy 6 and see what God has for us in, in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, the Bible says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction. That is, when he says they that will be, that is, they desire. Anybody that desires to be rich, they fall into these things. Then verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, uh, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's easy to be able to put our thoughts off of God and start becoming covetous in our lives and doing things for our way. But be careful about the covetousness. Harry Einstein also said, covetousness, is unquestionably the crying sin of the present day. 
and he said that in 1909. I say, Harry, if you could see the day, uh, <clears throat> you would get up from your grave. I mean, covetousness. And by the way, did you ever stop to think what it was that in the Old Testament time, New Testament time, Bible time, you ever stop to think what, what it was to be covetous back then? I mean, it wasn't cell phones. It wasn't cars. It wasn't houses. <laughs> like, boy, I wish I had that donkey. You know, oh, I wish our mud on our walls was as thick as their mud is thick. You know, I, I, and I honestly, I don't know what they coveted after. I mean, there's nothing there that I'm, I could ever see that I would want. Uh, but, but covetousness, uh, except for here, these people, I want more of out here. I just, I want more, just that spirit that is there. But I tell you, I stop and think about our own missions programs and churches. I mean, why is it that our missions aren't bigger? I wonder if it's not covetousness. I wonder if it's like, Lord, I've got this, and I've got that greedy spirit that's there, and I want just a little bit more, and then I'll be happy and satisfied as it is with some people. But, but I'm also reminded not only of the covetousness, and that's what he's warning the Babylonians about as well, but he also talks about their sin of pride as well. And he said, from as we look at it, anyhow, from from, from the exalted nest syndrome, when you're up there and that, and you're looking down as the Babylonians were so proud in spirit, and that's what Habakkuk was, was against and their haughtiness that they had, <clears throat> that he said, from that standpoint, that they were a very proud people. But notice what he said there in verse 4, when he said, Behold, his soul, speaking about the Babylonians, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That is, we've got to make sure as Christian people, those of us that are saved, that we walk in accordance with the word of God. Amen. Just shall live by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and our trust in him and everything. In verse 5, he said, Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home. Which is a good reason, by the way, to keep away from any kind of alcohol because it always leads to destruction, as the Bible says, uh, and messes up your home. And how many good homes have been, been abused and broken because of the sins of the covetousness and the pride that is there? A proud man doesn't keep at home either, uh, which is a horrible, horrible thing in doing. So I think, Lord, help me. Help me to be careful about my pride. Help me to watch out what I do as these people thought, well, they can do everything they want. The Babylonians, they were totally involved in, in their own life, wanting what they had in mind, <clears throat> uh, and they were proud about it. They didn't mind letting other people know how great it was, but I think they get up there in that exalted uh, nest syndrome, and they think they're on high, and they can do what they want, and sometimes we can pick up a proud spirit in the things that we do, and many times <clears throat> that we can look at something or or look at something we've done and think we've got something. Even talking about the things we have, we ought to be careful that everything we have, we ought to thank God for. We ought to praise the Lord for his goodness and what God is doing in our lives. <clears throat> but I, I think sometimes we can forget, the Bible tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. 
but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, I think, Lord, please help me to abide. Help me to realize the pride is in this world. And that's what we go after sometimes is that pride that is there that I want to stop. I want to stay away from it in every way possible. I remember with our, when I was pastoring our church in Fairfax, we had our, our teen group was going on a ski trip. Uh, and it was just to go up into the Shenandoah Mountains there in, in Virginia, in the western side of Virginia. And there was snow up there. So they had snow on the mountains. And they're not real big mountains, but they were mountains, we called them. Uh, but they were going skiing. I thought, our son was a teenager at the time. And I told Mary, I said, let's just go up there and, and uh, maybe I can ski a little bit with them. So uh, we went up there. And I don't know if you, how many of you have ever been snow skiing? A lot of people. So, uh, and, and it's always fun. Learning. Well, when I was in the military over in Italy, uh, we had a, a three-day snow school that they took us to. They took us up into the, the Alps there in northern Italy where we were stationed. And uh, we jumped out of an airplane and went and then we made our little pup tents on the snow. And we had, anyhow, we had, a, for three days, we had a snow school. So, you know, you learn the kind of the snow plow that's there and you get around with the snow plow uh, and then you start traversing a little bit. Uh, and so uh, I learned a few little things there, and, and we skied over there, and it was fun, and did some back here too. And then, so I thought, okay, I'm going to go up there. I think I'll let these people know as I, I got my skis. I thought, I'm going to show these kids about a good skier, you know, and what it's all about. So everybody's on, you know, I thought I haven't been on it in years. So I got on and got my skis, and Went on up, and I thought, I'm just going to come down the bunny slope with everybody else here for a bit, you know, and see if I can still do it. It's kind of like riding a bicycle. You, you get back on them, and, and it's fine. So it worked out great, and we skied around. I went up the next one, and I thought, okay, now it's time to go up to the expert slope. They call it expert slope. There's really kind of one long slope that went up. So the bunny slope was about here, and you came, and then they had a middle slope up about here. But then the expert slope was on up the top, and you had to traverse it coming down, and it was... It, it could be fast. So anyhow, I thought, okay, I'm going to go up there and get on that expert slope and come down. I got up. Usually when you get up there, you look down and you think, this is dumb on my part to be up here. <laughs> there, it was perfectly fine down there to be the bunnies. Down. But anyhow, I'm up there, and so I'm looking, and it's okay. It's time to go. So then I went out to shoot, and I went down and traversed the hill got down, and in the ski lift, it goes right up beside it. So I'm coming down, and then I'm getting down to the bunny slope again, you know, and I'm looking over at the ski thing. I wonder, and the ski lift, I wonder how many of those kids can see their pastor and how good I was coming off that expert slope. And so I'm skiing along, you know, and I look over there, and as soon as I looked over there, my skis did this. I went flying, I mean, I went flying. I fell. I forgot how to put the strap on. You know, I, it's supposed to come under you know your, on your wrist, and I had it over. So when I released them, I I didn't release the pole, and I fell into the crazy thing, <clears throat> uh, and cracked the rib. By the way, <clears throat> I, I thought, oh, that was fun. You know, uh, we finished up, and <clears throat> and I thought, told Mary down, yeah, you know, I don't think I want to go skiing right now anymore. <laughs> And we got in the car and they, when they were all bussed up and they were going on their bus and I was in the car and I was in, the, I still remember I pulled over in the parking lot and I said, you know, I got a terrible bruise here, this thing. Let me just look at it. And I, and I looked and I thought, 
there's no bruise there. And I thought, oh, I know what that means. And it, it was. It was I so anyhow, I thought, you know what, bud? It's a lot better if you're not so proud all the time and just kind of calm down. Let's face it. You're not that great of a skier, and you've proven it, you know. So I have not gone skiing to prove it to anybody else since then. So I, <laughs> you just take my word for it. I'm lousy. So I, but anyhow, you think, you know, Lord, there's something about pride going before destruction and, and a haughty spirit before a fall, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18. And I was a perfect picture of it uh, in my life. But I think about others in the Bible in there. And I want you to hold your finger here again a minute and just back up a little bit to the book of Daniel uh, chapter 4. I want to show you a couple of verses to mark. I say, you know, pride for all of us, we have to watch out. It's easy to get proud about, be proud about your children, proud of, about, and there's a right kind of a pride and a wrong kind of a pride. The Bible tells us the one, the right kind of pride in the church too, is we can be proud of a missions program uh, like they did in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. They were happy. They were boasting about that. Paul said, we're talking about it. You can be thankful for what we're doing for the Lord in missions and getting more churches started, and that's so vitally important for us. But we have to be careful that I don't become proud with anything uh, in my life, whether it's, whether it's a person's looks, whether it's a person's budget, whether it's their job, whether it's their finance, whether it's their status, I mean, whatever it might be, whether it's their gift, whatever they have is but by the grace of God. I am what I am, Paul said. Nothing I've got on my own because if God left any of us alone, we're nothing but bad news. Uh, and that's the way we are apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think about Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, that tall tree, and he didn't understand this big tall tree growing. I thought, what is this? And so he went to be able to get some help and asked the, 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 the astrologers and, and the men, say, well, now, what is this thing? Well, let me tell you what it is, Daniel. I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, because of some pride that is there, it's going to wipe out. They cut the tree down. And you're going to get cut off from your, <clears throat> your kingdom that you have. They kind of cut at the knees and chopped out and be gone. Uh, <clears throat> and you're going to have a heart of the beast. And, and he did. For about seven years, he did nothing but crawl around and eat grass, the Bible says. But notice what it says in, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 7. It said in verse <clears throat> In uh, Daniel chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, Then came the magicians, the astrologers, and Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. And then things changed. And notice, <clears throat> if you would, he said <clears throat> uh, in verse 27, he said, Now wherefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted unto thee, and break off thy, my, thy sins by righteousness, that iniquities showing mercy to the poor. He realized his life was messed up, uh, hurting in every way, uh, and got cut off and lost everything. I think about his son, Belshazzar. Belshazzar is the one that was there and, and just kind of carousing around, had wives, his concubines around. They were drinking wine and enjoying a good feast, and everything was fine. And all of a sudden, he sees something over here on the wall, and he looks at it, and he, he sees the, the description that comes up there, mini, mini, tickle, upfrishen. And he looked at that, what in the world is that? And he sees these fingers going over there. He couldn't get that figured out uh, either, but then finds out, you know, hey, 
you're going to find out you think you're a tough guy, you think you're smart, you didn't learn again from your dad. And uh, then the Bible tells us in, in uh, chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, in chapter 5, verse 20 of Daniel, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed, <clears throat> deposed of, from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him, <clears throat> and uh, later he died. And I think, Lord, help us to be careful with our pride and whatever it might be in our lives and, <clears throat> and not be thinking about, I've just got to get the credit and I've got to get glory. I've got to have people think about it and I've got to have the others to see me and what I've done in every way because pride's a terrible thing and it hurts all of us and it hurts the work of God and God's work will be hindered, obviously, because of it. I read a story one time about a couple of ducks and a frog and the ducks and the frog were playing at the pond. They developed a good friendship, the two ducks and the frog, and everything was going great. And all of a sudden, they had global warming, and the pond started drying up. And their pond was drying up, and all of a sudden, after one day, finally it got to the place where the pond was, I mean, dry as a bone. And then the ducks and the frog were talking and thinking, hey, we can't stay around here any long. We're going to die if we stay here much longer. So <clears throat> the ducks were saying, hey, we're going to be out of here, frog. We want to go. We're going to find us another pond somewhere, someplace that's got a little bit more water than what this place had, like it used to have, but has nothing now. And the frog was complaining. He said, wait a minute. You plan to leave me? I mean, I can't fly. So I'll tell you what. And he thought of something, and he saw a stick. He, the frog got the stick and brought it over and said, look, you two guys grab hold of the stick and I'll bite onto the stick and then we'll all three go and fly to the next pond. And so, <clears throat> sure enough, the ducks grabbed hold of it with their beaks, their bills, whatever it is, and they, they put in there the stick that was there. The frog grabbed hold of that thing and here they are just flying along and uh, carrying the frog. And then there was a farmer down there where he looked up. I wonder whose idea that was. Frog said, mine. <laughs> the moral of the story is, let the other bird get the credit, okay? Don't worry about taking it all for yourself all the time because it is important to just, Lord, I am what I am. By your grace, I don't need that. I can give it to someone else, and I can honor other people with their lives and what they're doing and serving the Lord. And I think about the sin of, of <clears throat> the pride and the sin of covetousness that, that the Babylonians, the wicked, ungodly people, trying to come in and help out uh, the ungodly people of the Judeans. But then <clears throat> a third thing is, see, look back in verse 9 in our text that you just lost the finger in. But uh, if you look back, remember again, Matthew back up five. In, in Habakkuk chapter two, in verse nine, where it says, woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. 
And so here are these people. They had it all together, they thought. Everything's fine. They're a little proud what they had. They coveted other people's property and things they had. They were going after it. And they got it, took it for themselves. Now we're up here on this perch in our exalted nest syndrome. Now we've got it all. We've got it made. We can sit back. Uh, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden to realize, hey, our life just doesn't make any difference anymore. You get to the place in a, in a Christian life where it's like everything's going fine now. And it's like, hey, why try anymore? Why work anymore? Why give it my best? The Babylonians thought, you know, above everybody else and they don't need it. I mean, who cares about what else happened? Who cares about the next person? And they didn't. The Laodicean church was the same way. They kind of, the Bible said, is that one of the church, seven churches there in Asia Minor? And they were kind of gotten, God said, you know, your problem with your churches and Laodicean churches, you're not hot, you're not cold. You're just kind of in the middle. And he said, I just as soon spew you out of my mouth because you're not accomplishing anything. And you know what we find out as we grow in our Christian lives? We can get to the place where, you know, I read my Bible, I can pray, I come to church, and now all I have to do is coast until I meet the Lord. But keep in mind for each of us, we've got a job to do because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back again. And I want to be found faithful to the Lord, not hot, not cold. I want to be serving God in every way. I want to be hot. I want to be that person that's on fire for God, serving God, giving him my very best while there's still time and giving our all to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remind us that someday each of us will be standing before God alone. And then at that judgment seat of Christ, for those of us that are believers, then I'll give an account of myself to my God. Not for my sins. My sins are all washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. But my works, what works do you have? What have you done for Jesus lately? And it's going to be an awesome, horrible time for some in a sense that, you know, I, I, maybe I don't have the works that I wish I did, but for the rest of us, we still have time. We have life. We can put the, the bygones behind us and we can say, Lord, how, I don't want you spewing me out of your mouth. I don't want to be cold. I want to get on fire for God. I want to serve the Lord and give God everything and our very best. And that's exactly what the Lord will do for us as well. So <clears throat> keep going forward for God. Ask the Lord, Lord, I need your help. I need in every way to serve you. I want to serve you at Gospel Baptist Church. Make it the greatest church in the country to serve in God, giving him our all and our very best. I remind us again of how holy our great God is. Maybe our life is getting to place where it's a little flat. Maybe your life is kind of dried up. Maybe you've lost the excitement for Jesus Christ. Maybe the zeal is waning somewhat. Maybe, Lord, I'm, I've just kind of forgotten about how wonderful you are and how great you are, but God wants our best all the time, that I might die to myself and live for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to all of life's woes in every way. Habakkuk, Habakkuk was told, okay, our people, they're not doing right, I know God, but you're holy God, what are you going to do about it? Here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to take those Babylonians. They're going to come in, and they're going to kind of get things straightened up here. They're going to take them captive in 586, which is what they did. 
But at the same time, I'm going to get back at them. I'll get back at them. They think they've got it made. They're proud people. They're covetous people. They're indifferent people. Now they, they think they've got it all. And I'm going to take care of them. As a born-again believer, I want to serve God and give him my best. I don't want the traits and attributes of those that are ungodly and unrighteous and not doing right. <clears throat> I want to be able to serve the Lord and give my best. And you know, maybe that just something in my life is not quite what it ought to be. I could get it right with my Lord. But I remind us too, in every church, there's always people that have never been born into God's family. A lot of people have come along, as I did, eight years old, joined the church, got baptized, thought I was on my way to heaven, never considered what I really needed in my life was Christ governing my life and saving my soul and washing my sins in his blood. <clears throat> and if you've never been born into God's family, I encourage you to think about it. You can't stair-step your way to heaven. It's all by the grace of God alone. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son who died for us, buried, and raised again from the dead. Let Christ have his way in your life. Accept him. Get away from all of your things you may have done well, but you're going to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Believer, let's give God our all. Let's roll up our sleeves like never before and say, by the grace of God, pride's going to go away. Covetousness is going to go away. Indifference, somebody else can do it. It's going to go away. I'm going to get involved in serving God with my best. Father in heaven, I thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness in each of our lives. Lord, we all have much to be thankful for. And dear God, I just pray, Lord, that you will do your work. Help each one of us, I pray, to walk uprightly in the fear of God. Help us to hate the devil. Help us to get off of that exalted nest that we may put ourselves on because we think we've done something when we know we are what we are by your grace alone. And Father, I pray you'll just do your work. Help us in every way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.